Emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Welcome, Ohana, to the Disney Guys Uncensored. This is episode 140, recorded on May 2nd, 2022. He is Tim, I am Bub, and on tonight's episode, we take a look at one of the most overlooked aspects of Walt Disney World, the Reedy Creek Improvement District. But a topic like this requires the best research and an extensive and exhaustive knowledge and understanding of urban planning and development. And it will come as no surprise to you, you, our listeners, that Tim and myself had to reach into the corners of the internet, and we came up with the authority on such matters. So allow us to introduce introduce to you our new friend and author of Married to the Mouse, Walt Disney World, and Orlando, retired professor and one of the most in-demand political analysts around. Please welcome Richard Folsong to the show. Uh, Tim, before we bring Richard on, uh, any news or anything this week? No, honestly, it was a really slow week for news, and uh, we'll, we wanted to allow as much time as possible with Richard to uh, let you guys know about this very important topic and what's going on down there. So without further ado, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You want to introduce yourselves to our audience? Well, thank you guys for inviting me to be on your program. I, I, I look forward to this conversation, and I look forward in the future to listening to your podcast. It's uh, I like the idea that it's uncensored, and I, I see from looking at your archives that you've had some very interesting programs. So thank oh, you for letting you. me be here. Thank you for your for your kind words. Um, so just to jump right into it, uh, even some of the most hardcore Disney fans are only finding out about the Reedy Creek Improvement District and Improvement Districts and all this because of what's been in the news for the last couple of weeks. Uh, in layman's terms, what is a special improvement district in the context of Florida or the United States in general? Well, there are two kinds of governments, generally speaking. One is a general purpose government, and that would be like the city of Orlando or New York or Chicago. And that's the kind of government that um, has elections. And uh, uh, people who live there get to vote and they elect a city council and a mayor and like that. And and then they uh, elect uh, or appoint a planning and zoning commission, and, and so it goes. Um, a special purpose district is different. The word special is key, that it's a government that just does one thing, and it may or may not be elected. In the case of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, there's a board of commissioners, and it's uh, chosen on the great capitalist principle of one acre equals one vote. So not not how uh, governments normally work. To make it simpler, uh, I call the Reedy Creek Improvement District a Vatican with mouse ears because it is like the Vatican in Rome where you've got a government inside Rome, inside the nation state of Italy, and and, and that's what the Reedy Creek Improvement District is, is a 
government, not an elected one, but a government nonetheless inside the state of Florida. And is the Reedy Creek Improvement District, is that the only one of these improvement districts or are these all over Florida and all over the United States? Well, they're all over the United States. Florida had a particular problem in its early development called uh, a lot of uh, wetness. And so there were a lot of drainage districts appointed. And initially, Reedy Creek was a drainage district, and it was appointed to drain water from land so that that land could be developed. And as time went by, the Reedy Creek Improvement District became something more than that. If we, if we go back, the origins of the Reedy Creek government uh, come from, from Anaheim, California. So Disneyland opened in 1953, and it was a success from the very beginning. But the Disney company was dissatisfied with some aspects of what they had built in California. Namely, they, they didn't like having to deal with the city of Anaheim because uh, they depended upon Anaheim, California to provide public services, police, water, fire, sewer, and on. And as well, they were regulated by the city of Anaheim. In particular, they were regulated, their land was regulated through planning and zoning, and their buildings were regulated. All municipalities have building inspectors who inspect developed land buildings. And the company didn't like that. So they they wanted, when they built their East Coast Disneyland, as they were calling it uh, when they first started looking for the site for their East Coast Disneyland, they, they wanted to do something different uh, in the next place. And the idea was that they would not rely on a government they did not control, that they would um, have their own government. And the challenge was to find a way to do that because, hey, this is America and we have democracy and we have elections. So how, how would they be able to have their own government where they could conduct their own building inspections and where they could provide public services unto themselves in, in the United States, where we have elections and where property owners don't control the government. And I had the good fortune in researching my book, Buried to the Mouse, to be able to visit the Disney archives in Burbank, California, and to see how it was that the Disney people set up the private government that they have here. And it's really a fascinating story. I'm a political scientist, and so I naturally have an interest in well, how governmental systems work and was intrigued that the Disney company wanted to set up a private government and intrigued as well that they wanted to be able to control it and actually found a way to control their government, despite the fact that, again, this is the United States. And Here's the, here's the short version of the story. Uh, so I found a, a memo in the company archives where a man named Paul Hellowell, who had uh, helped to launder money for the Bay of Pigs invasion, had a CIA connection, an attorney, and he, he helps the Disney company uh, find the land for Disney World. Maybe we'll come back to that. But So he, he'd help them in that way. But he also figured out how they could create this 
governmental apparatus. And in this memo that I found, he was explaining to Walt and Roy Disney that they, they couldn't control their government, at least not directly, because of the issue or problem of democracy. And, and, and that was my big question, because you said there was a council. It was one vote per, uh, sorry, did you say acre or, or uh, square mile? Yeah, one, yeah, one vote per acre. Um, yeah, so, so they actually do have people who vote for the various rules and zoning and, and laws. So who are those people and how does Disney guarantee that they would always vote the way they want to, want them to, I should say? Well, that's that's a fascinating question, and and I have the answer for you, and and so I'm, I was telling you how first Mr. Hallowell had to explain to the Disney brothers that they couldn't just do it the way they wanted to do it, and so he writes this three-page memo to Walt and Roy Disney, and and he has this key phrase he uses that um, that once people live there on the property they'll be able to control the development. He said uh, permanent residents would be able to vote. And every time Hellowell used those words, permanent residents, someone had crossed out that word and put above it, handwritten, temporary resident slash tourist. And at the end of the memo, where Hellowell said, the best we, the company, will be able to do is to control the development of the property for seven years. And after that, the residents will be able to control the development. And at that place, someone had marked out those words and put no in inch high letters in a red grease pencil. So I find this memo, I find it curious. I don't know whose comments were written in the margin. And I took it to the head archivist, like the librarian for the Disney archives. And I said, well, whose comments were these? And he kind of proudly said to me, well, those were Walt Disney's comments. This, uh, this memo was found in his desk when he died. That was in December of 1966. Well, when I saw that, I knew the significance of it. Frankly, I knew that I had a, had a book and possibly a, an important one, because what that revealed was that the Disney brothers never intended to build a going community, a place called Epcot, where 20,000 people would live and work and play, despite the fact that in 1967, when the Disney company went to the state legislature and asked for their governmental powers, they said they needed governmental powers because they were building a going community where 20,000 people would live and work and play. But the memo that I just reference indicated that was never their intent because they understood that if people lived there, they could vote there and then the Disney people would lose control. Now, I understand that to this point, you're probably confused. Well, what's he saying that you, you know, that they had a government, that people voted, they didn't vote. How did all that work? Here's how it worked. And Paul Hallowell, the man I referenced, was the mastermind of all this. There are, there's a two-tier government on the Disney property. Uh, at the bottom tier, there are two municipalities. One's called Bay Lake, and the other's called Lake Buena Vista. And people live there full-time, not, not tourists. Right now, there are 52 people living between the two cities 
when I wrote the book in the late 1990s, there were 47 people who were living there. And these people uh, are trusted supervisory level, uh, non-union, long-term Disney employees. Uh, you could say it's like a company town, the 52 people who live there now. And the really important powers that you've been hearing about for the last couple of weeks, the power to uh, build roads, water, sewer, fire, like that, um, those powers, they belong to the people who live in these two municipalities, Bay Lake and Lake Buena Vista. And, and they have some more powers than that. They have some more powers that the Disney company has never used. Like, for example, the power to uh, build an atomic power plant, uh, to build an airport, uh, to uh, uh, distribute and sell alcoholic beverages. Those are powers that Disney companies never use, but they have those powers that were granted to them in 1967. And again, now, didn't they powers... plan on building an airport, though? At, at one point, they, they even had the area cleared for it, correct? Well, that's right. And you can still see. Uh, some of the runway for that airport. It was a uh, short, uh, I'm, I'm losing the right term for it, but it was a short hop kind of airport. There was an idea at that time uh, to use small, small planes and a short runway to ferry passengers from a larger airport. So for example, at the time when Disney opened, Orlando did not have what it has now. It just had the McCoy Airport, the military air airport that, you know, eventually becomes uh, Orlando International. You know, people, we when we fly in and out of here, you know, we have the MCO tags on our bags, which stood for McCoy originally. And the idea had been that the way they would ferry passengers to the theme park would be to ferry them from uh, Tampa, Jacksonville, Miami on short hop kind of planes. And that seemed like a good idea at the time, but eventually, as McCoy evolved into what it became today, they did not need to do that. So that's that's some Disney trivia there, isn't it? About he, you know, did they ever have an airport? Well, yeah, they they did, but and and they had the authorization for, it, but didn't really need it. So that's you know, fascinating stuff. Go ahead. No, fascinating stuff. So basically, these fifty-two people are are some of the most trusted people within the Disney company. I, I assume they're receiving their housing and, and all that on the company dime in exchange for always voting the way that things have been drawn up in proposals? Well, I, I think so. It's a little curious because when I wrote the book and went out there and looked at the property, I'll confess to you, I think, uh, I think I'm safe now to admit this. I did have to cross a no trespassing sign to get to where the housing was, then the um, the housing, so called, they were uh, they were double wides, and I couldn't quite figure out why people at that level of seniority within the company would actually want to live in a double wide. I'm not sure they really lived there. They may have had a residence there, but it was um, uh, it was it was a little fake. You could say that. Yeah. I, yeah. So. This is something I've always wondered. I, I actually had heard about the double wides and, and that was how the voting population worked. Is 
Disney has built a community for the ultra wealthy on Disney property called Golden Oaks. Do those people also have the right to vote in Reedy Creek elections since they live on Disney property now? You know, I have to admit uh, that came about after I finished the book and I still don't understand how that works because if people live there, they can vote there. I, I think they are not somehow not full time residents because, well, I repeat myself, if you live there and you're an American citizen and you're a full-time resident, then you would have the right to vote there. But these other folks, they clearly do have the right to vote, and they do, and, and they elect a city council and a mayor. And actually, most of the people who live there are, are something in the local government because there's so few of them and there are quite a few positions to fill. So this man, Paul Hellowell, the attorney, figures out how the Disney company can do a workaround on the legal requirement that a government that controls planning and zoning and building inspections had to be elected. And the, the workaround was that they would create these two cities, Bay Lake and Lake Buena Vista, and people would live there and they would be trusted supervisory level Disney employees. And the important powers would be given to those two municipalities. And then they would give over the execution of those powers to this other tier of government called the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which was kind of like a county that embraces the whole property. And and that's the magic. That's the, the, the legal magic that Disney could be um, ha- have these powers and they could be legitimate, uh, but not be actually exercised by real residents, rather be exercised by uh, people who were appointed by the government, local notables and the like, local bankers and attorneys and planners and and things like that. So that's fascinating. And that's a really neat, uh, both legal and like rhetorical trick to to establish a government that does their bidding, but is still legal under the U.S. Constitution. Now, how does this actually benefit the Walt Disney Company uh, and and how what pays for all this? Right. Okay. Well, they pay for it is the short answer that Disney pays property taxes like all other businesses, landowners do. Uh, Disney collects sales tax and turns it into the state and some of it comes back to the city and to the county. So nothing out of the normal there. In addition, however, the Disney company through Reedy Creek, taxes itself as the landowner and uses the revenue from itself to provide public services benefiting it. And that goes back to their experience at Anaheim. They wanted specific kind of services. They wanted services tailored to their exact needs, not things they didn't need that some landowners might need if it were the city of Anaheim, but the specific things they wanted, they wanted, but other things they didn't want. And so they tax themselves to provide the fire services, for example, that they need and the roads and the kind of roads that they need. And they also tax themselves for the staff of 200 or so who work for the Reedy Creek Improvement District, who are the building inspectors and the planning and zoning people and the road builders and so forth. So, you know, all good so far. And Disney likes to say, uh, have said to Governor DeSantis, well, hey, 
you know, we tax ourselves to pay for these services. There is, however, more to the story. It's also true that Disney escapes from paying certain fees and taxes that other landowners in Orange County pay. We have these things called impact fees that began historically in the 1980s for growth management that Disney uh, avoids paying because their 1967 charter said that they didn't have to pay taxes and fees that were new uh, after 1967. So they escaped from paying some things too. And that's another side of the story that's not always mentioned when the Disney company is defending how they use the Reedy Creek Improvement District. So in other words, Disney has created this almost Rube Goldberg-like middleman, but it actually makes things more efficient because at the end of the day, the middleman just does exactly what Disney wants, which allows them to deliver the services and improvements exactly tailored to their needs as a resort and as a company. Uh, that's right. And I might say in their defense that when, when they came here, if they had not created that entity, then they would have been looking to Orange County to provide a lot of services, road building and fire and whatnot for them. And uh, Orange County might not have liked to do that because that would have been a considerable expense. So uh, they, Disney, saved Orange County money by providing those services itself. And I, I should say this, too, about building inspections, for example. That might sound like they're getting away with something, um, that they're providing those inspections themselves. The people listening might think, well, they may not do a very good job about that. But the thing is, they were building, I'll just call them exotic kind of buildings, theme park buildings. The best example would be uh, Cinderella's Castle at 278 feet made of fiberglass. Well, there's not going to be a provision in a Orange County building code for a structure of that nature. And there wouldn't be people with the expertise working for Orange County, no doubt, who would be able to inspect that construction. So it made some sense that they do the inspections themselves. And if you think, well, that would be dangerous if they're doing it, uh, they might not do a good job. But the thing is, Disney, one, they have to protect their reputation. And two, they have to be fearful of lawsuits as a company with deep pockets. And so they have a financial incentive to ensure that their buildings are safe, lest they have to pay out huge claims. Now, it's interesting you bring up building uh, inspections because, and this story may be apocryphal. You may tell me I'm totally wrong because I heard this years ago uh, from a cast member. Um, my understanding is the one thing that the Reedy Creek Improvement District cannot do Remember, as, as you said, they could build a nuclear power plant, they could build an airport. They can't inspect their own elevators, I hear. <laughs> uh, you know, I heard something to that effect as well, and that is interesting why there would be that exception. I can't explain that. Oh, darn. All right. Well, back to the So who knows if that's true? If this man doesn't know it's true, listeners, do some research, let us know, but maybe no one knows. Um, the other question I had about funding and... Um, taxes and all that is um i have heard for years that reedy creek also can issue bonds just like any other municipality and that yes. bond debt has been coming up a lot in the last yes. 48 hours as of when we're recording this uh yes that's absolutely true that's something that the disney company asked for and got from the state of florida is the uh, authority to issue municipal bonds and 
uh, as many of your listeners will know, municipal bonds are uh, taxed at a lower rate. I'm talking about income taxes that people pay on their revenue and uh, uh, municipal bonds taxed at a lower rate, which makes it possible to issue those bonds uh, at a lower interest rate. And therefore, it's easier to raise money for infrastructure development. Uh, and those that authority uh, is reserved for municipalities. That's why they're called municipal bonds. But Disney wasn't really a municipality in the full sense of, of that term. And I found a very interesting document. Uh, after the Disney company got the charter to create the two cities and then and then the Reedy Creek Improvement District, uh, they were granted the, this municipal bond authority. And that was challenged in the federal, excuse me, the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court approved granting that municipal bonding authority to the Disney company. And in the final paragraph of that Supreme Court decision, it said that while it's true that this bonding authority will benefit the Disney interest. It will, at the same time, benefit, quote, the numerous inhabitants of the district. So you All see... 54 of them or whatever. Yeah. Well, but see, that's not what the Supreme Court thought. Because Disney, when they got their powers and when they made their presentation to the state legislature, they said that 20,000 people were going to live and work and play there. They described a place called Epcot. Well, that's not what Epcot became. So when the state Supreme Court approved that authority, they were under the mistaken because misled impression that it was going to be a going community. It was not. I keep waiting for that issue to come up in this debate ongoing now about bonding authority, that the Supreme Court had a very different idea about how many people would benefit from this bonding authority? Not 20,000. The, the the usage of the theoretical plan Walt had for Epcot, uh, the blue sky plan of it being a community, is fascinating because because you're right. I, I've been reading uh, articles about the, 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 the changes being proposed to Reedy Creek from all sorts of different news sources, and, and that is not really being brought up at all. Uh, you no, know, it's this not. is... Uh, no, and it's no. shocking to me that that isn't because that seems like a, a pretty key point that uh, they almost misrepresented their intentions with this land um, to get these these wheels initially rolling uh, back in the, the 60s. Yes, I, I believe they did. And uh, I, I did my research to Disney Archives in Burbank and others have not gained the same access that I got. Other books have not told this story. I, I, I think it's very important. And it's you know, you, I could say it's important and I could say, well, it's normal. Uh, it's not unusual. hasn't been unusual in the state of Florida for developers to come to town and make big promises in return for certain privileges and then not carry through. That's an old Florida story. It's just a much bigger story here. Uh, and it's also more important because it's a it's a Disney story. And the, the Disney company clearly misled the state of Florida in getting this bonding authority as with getting the other powers that they got. They said they were going to build a place for 20,000 people who live and work and play. And, and I know from what I saw that they never intended to do that. And even if I'm wrong about that, or even if you want to dismiss that, the Disney company, when they changed their plan 
for Epcot, they did not give back the powers that they got on the basis that they were going to build a place called Epcot where 20,000 people would live and work and play. It was in 1975 that they announced the new plan for Epcot, the plan for what they actually built. And this I found interesting. Henry Kissinger came and gave a talk, and it was at a meeting of the Southern Governors Conference, and they described something different. And I, I looked extensively to see what the reaction was. I could not find a peep from any of the state or local politicians about them announcing a plan for an Epcot that was not the going community. And when Epcot opened in 1982, there were more than 100 national and international press representatives who were there. I could not find a single sentence where anyone in the news media wrote, hey, this is not what they said they were going to build. <laughs> it was just the past. And I, I think that was possibly a, a, a fairy dust kind of factor, you know, that no one wanted to call Disney. No one wanted to call it Disney on the fact that they were doing something different from what they had said they were going to do. Which is fascinating because you can go on Disney Plus today and find a myriad of the high budget, most promoted documentaries on their own service that talk about Walt's dream of what Epcot was supposed to be. <laughs> you know, I know. That's absolutely fascinating stuff. So all of this is some really cool history. It is super interesting. And it's a far better job on talking about the history of Reed Creek than Bub and I ever could have done. But when we initially proposed this episode, that was all it was going to be, was the history of Reed Creek. Although now, as I'm sure everyone has heard, it sounds like Reedy Creek might be history. Um, what is happening in Florida right now with the law that has you know, been signed and uh, gone across the, uh, the Governor DeSantis' desk uh, at this point? Well... I'd say that that law is on hold because, yes, it's true that the legislature led by Governor DeSantis voted to uh, dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement District, but then put it on hold for 13 months till June of 23, till they can work something out. So Governor DeSantis hasn't explained how all this is going to work. Uh, the, the Senate president and the House Speaker They've said some different things about whether they worked it all out in advance or whether they didn't. It seems pretty clear that, hey, after all, they did it in 72 hours. It seems pretty clear that they haven't figured out how they're going to uh, actually execute the dissolution and in particular what they're going to do about the bonded debt that the Disney company has. How if the Disney comp if the Reedy Creek Improvement District no longer exists, it can uh, tax itself to pay off the bonds to reimburse the bondholders because otherwise the bondholders get taken advantage of. And another possibility is that Orange County ends up having to pay to reimburse the bondholders, in which case Disney would get and would be scot free from reimbursing them and that would uh, not seem fair that the Disney company got that kind of subsidy. So in other words, first of all, it does. It sounds like the this law was enacted without any real thought to the, the possible long term consequences, not just for Disney, but the surrounding cities and counties, uh, which is it, it seems incredible to me. Uh, as you've described, this is basically a county with 
two cities inside of it that straddles two other counties with major U.S. cities in it. And, and, and it was voted in 72 hours to, to be dissolved with no plan for any of the, the long-term consequences or even logistics of uh, doing that dissolution. Um, that said, if this goes the way uh, the, the legislator and the governor intended it to, what, what are some of possible implications for both the Disney Company and Orange County? And I guess well, to a lesser extent, Osceola County. Yeah, I, I've used the language of dire consequences kind of all the way around. There are consequences for the governor, possibly, and he will end up embarrassing himself. Uh, there are consequences for the bondholders. There are consequences for Orange County voters should they end up having to pick up the cost of repaying the bondholders. And because those consequences are, I keep repeating myself, I know, dire, um, I don't think that it's going to come to those consequences. I think that in a year's time, this issue will die down and that cooler minds will prevail and that something will change. Uh, Disney Company would easily give up. I think it's a power for an atomic power plant. That's inconceivable that they would do that. And by the way, that's only in state law. Federal law would regulate an atomic power plant. So that's just kind of a scarecrow there. Um, and um, I think there'll be some changes, but I think that they'll be um, minor. I, I said this from the beginning, so I could be the one that's embarrassed that, that, that I'm the one that's wrong here. I just think that it is just too frightening, these prospects for these bad results to really come about. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen in the, the Orange County Register and on, on television and stuff that, um, I mean, Orlando is largely a middle class to working class area talking about um, a, a 20 to 25 percent property tax increase. I mean, your average homeowner in America can cannot weather that sort of a, a, a tax increase. That's just an unprecedented, uh, to use your word, dire type of increase for for a middle or working class family. Well, absolutely. And that would be bad for Disney because they get some of the blame for it. It would be bad for the politicians who voted in favor of this. I, I think it's inconceivable, even if you want to take into account that Osceola and Orange are blue county, so-called Democratic ones, and that, well, maybe the Republicans wouldn't care. But yeah, they had to. They'd have to care. You, you just can't do that to the voters in two counties to saddle them with that kind of sudden tax burden. I, I I think that's inconceivable. Now, if things do change, setting aside the dire consequences, um, if Disney loses these special powers, how would they manage to inspect their buildings, fill their potholes, you know, build new rides, build new attractions? Um, well, it's a good question, and 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 I have written and I've said in talks and whatnot that, oh, gee, this was so important to Disney that they have these powers that they wouldn't have come if they were not given the powers. But here's the flip side. Disneyland in California does not have these powers, and they seem to do okay. And that would suggest to you that Disney World could do okay as well. I'm sure they'd rather have these powers. And these powers were more important at the beginning than they are now when they were building up the theme park from scratch. And again, I'm sure they'd like to have these powers. And I think for them, for Disney, it's less about money than it is about efficiency and time, about simply being able to do things for themselves and not have to depend upon a government not their own for inspections and for public services. 
they might they might save a little money on this, but mostly it's time. Here's an example: uh, when the um, movie theme parks open at Universal and Disney, Universal was about six months ahead of Disney, and guess which company won the race to open their theme park first? Well, it, it was Disney. Well, why was that? Well, it was because uh, time is money and vice versa, that Disney could do the inspections itself, and Universal had to depend upon the city of Orlando, because they're inside the city of Orlando in Orange County. Um, and so that's, that's, that, I think, is the, the main advantage of doing the inspections themselves. It's time and efficiency. It's not principally about money. So that that is really how this all sounds. So you, I have seen, and admittedly is from more of the conservative media, talking about why are people so upset that Disney is losing its tax-exempt status? That's all that's happening here. And from what everything you've said, I almost gather that Disney not only pays taxes, it, it pays an additional tax on top of that to itself to fund this. And one of the possible outcomes of this is only hurting the regular people in Orange and Osceola County and unburdening Disney from $3 million worth of debt. That So is where is that idea that Disney is, quote, losing its tax-exempt status that's being perpetuated coming from? Is that just an outright lie by certain one-sided news outlets? Yeah, I'm not sure. I wouldn't use the language of losing its tax-exempt status because it does pay property tax, and a lot of them, but then it's the largest property owner in the in, in the county. Uh, what they what they gained with the Reedy Creek Improvement District was exemption from impact fees and some new taxes, like a tax for law enforcement in unincorporated Orange County. Uh, I made a calculation in 1999 with the help of the Orange County Controller's Office that they saved that year about $17 million a year. Uh, so that number would be higher now. And that's, um, I don't know, that'd be a lot of money for me, but that's not a huge amount of money. So you, you know, you could, you, you can correctly say, yeah, there's taxes they don't pay, but it's, it's not a huge amount and that could be corrected, but it would be wrong for a, a news outlet to leave the impression that they don't pay property taxes. And that it's a huge amount. Yeah, I mean, listeners, for for reference, uh, I mean, Disney obviously never comes out with the budget for rides or attractions, but uh, there have been estimates of half a billion dollars for the newer e-ticket rides for your guardians. Uh, I've seen estimates of up to one billion dollars for rides of resistance. I mean, right. seventeen million dollars is pocket change. That's a heavily themed restaurant in one of right. the parks. Correct. Um, so if, if that's really if Disney was willing to do awful and underhanded things for 17 million dollars, that just doesn't make any kind of sense. Well, um, there are other kind of benefits that they get. For example, when a interchange was built for uh, for the um, animal theme park, uh, they um, they got the county to pay half the cost of the interchange on I-4. And that was closer to a hundred million dollars. That had nothing to do with Reedy Creek. Uh, they would have been able to get that just by uh, <laughs> lobbying, um, whether they had Reedy Creek or not. So uh, people might want to call attention to things like that and call that out. Let me just build off that. I think that there are Democratic legislators 
who are bothered by benefits that Disney get for um, and the way in which they can avoid uh, paying for affordable housing and uh, road building uh, 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 interchanges on I-4 and the like. Uh, and I suspect that if it were not for this debate about wokeness from the Republican side, uh, there might well be Democrat state legislators who would want to challenge some of the benefits that Disney gets uh, for infrastructure and the like. Who knows? There could be a meeting of minds there between Democrats and Republicans on this. It's a little hard to imagine at this juncture, given how far apart they are and most issues before the state legislature. But there are benefits that Disney gets that, in my humble opinion, ought to be questioned. And I can imagine the Democratic politicians would want to raise issues about those. Uh, they're just Democrats and Republicans are disagree about in what area Disney has been a bad actor. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, I do have a couple more questions for you go. Are you okay. a Disney World fan, Dr. Fogelson? Uh, yeah, I go to the parks. I've taught courses where I take students to the park. Uh, both of my sons, when they were in college, uh, uh, worked there during the summer. Um, and they they got a pretty good wage for a college student. Uh, Disney likes to hire college students in time rather than uh, adult full-time employees. There aren't always such good wages for people supporting a family of four. For sure. Disney does fall short in the, uh, the wage department for cast members sometimes. Uh, what's your favorite attraction at the Walt Disney World Parks? Um, what's my favorite attraction? Oh, you know, I'd, I'd almost embarrass myself because it would go back to some of the early uh, uh, rides associated with some of the early movies. Uh, I always like this Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's a classic. We we, we, yeah, we love yeah. all the history here. That's that's yeah. our favorite stuff, especially Bub and I. We're the, yeah. we're the nostalgic guys for the, the old stuff that's closed down now. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I guess we only have one more question for you, and that's uh, if, if any of our listeners have um, any questions about this or or anything else related to this, or, or just want to know, uh, you know, keep up with you. Uh, where where can they find you, and uh, you know, find your book, etc. Well, people don't seem to have a hard time finding me because I get queries from strangers quite frequently, whether on Messenger or Facebook or. Uh, the social media, uh, I'm, I'm out there. Uh, the book is Married to the Mouse, Walt Disney World and Orlando. And last I checked, it's available on Amazon and other places like Amazon, even though it's been out for 20 years. And I think, uh, I, I think Governor DeSantis and, and you guys and the media for <laughs> finding my book and referencing it in relationship to this battle, I guess you might call it, between the Disney company and the state legislature and the governor. You know, Rick, before we before we wrap up here, I have one question for you. And I, again, fascinating stuff to be a fly on the wall of this conversation tonight. Did you ever think 20 years ago when you wrote this book that you'd be on a podcast in 2022 trying to explain your research and, and try to explain both sides of the story? I mean, it, it, it's crazy to me that we're having the conversation now 
after something that's been around for for 50 years or 56 years pretty much well no i absolutely did not think i would be here talking about something as arcane <laughs> as the way in which the reedy creek improvement district works but so it is excellent well i for one took a lot away from it very interesting topic tim if you have anything else if not we'll uh, we'll take this home no, all okay. I want to say is thank you so, so much, um, Richard, for, for coming on and, and really getting in-depth, down and dirty. I, those stories you told, especially about the history of it and, and the players involved and the memo and stuff, just unbelievably st- stuff that you can't find anywhere else. Absolutely fascinating. And thank you so, so mm-hmm. much for coming on the show. Well, thanks to both of you. Yeah, well, that is going to wrap up episode 140, the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Be sure to listen to our back catalog available on all of your preferred listening platforms. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or for Richard, please uh, give us a shout. Let us know. We will pass them along to him. You can reach us at the Disney Guys Uncensored at gmail.com. And once again, a big thank you to Richard for joining us this evening. Uh, please go out, grab yourself a copy of Married to the Mouse, Walt Disney World, and Orlando. And finally, before I go, tonight a very happy birthday to my co-host tim uh tim happy birthday buddy it, it's it, you know you had a week off I, i'm glad we were able to do that for you and fit you in i don't know if you listened to last week's episode yet but we did I give you a lot have of not crap gotten a missing. chance yet we gave you we, we had a go at you for missing an episode just so oh, you know boy. so uh but seriously guys as always uh thanks to richard and thank you the listeners for giving us a shot here on the disney guys uncensored <laughs>